Turn your Bibles to the book of Jude tonight. I appreciate everything that Brother David said. You know, I thought a lot about this war uh, in Ukraine, and I guess, you know, when you're an adult, you have more opinions than you have sense sometimes. And, um, I, you know, I, and I don't even know if all this is going to come out right. <laughs> but I've become a pretty cynical person politically, if I'm just to be frank with you. I have. I don't have a lot of confidence in nobody but the Lord Jesus anymore. And uh, I feel like we are the recipients of a targeted propaganda war uh, here in the West. And uh, and I still believe that. And, you know, it's been 150 years since we've had war on our soil here. And I think one of the things that war is a confusing thing. And you, you look at it and, and, you know, my heart, when I, when I watch what's going on over there, I, I think to myself, you know, here you, here you've got Ukrainians. They didn't ask for this war. They didn't vote for this war. They don't want this war. Uh, here you have Russians and, and it's easy to look at them and say, well, all those people, you know, that it's, it's easy to buy in to the, to the machine and to buy in to the narrative and imagine that but probably a great many of those individuals, they're, they're being forced and marched to a war that probably a great many of them are not interested in, don't understand, don't know why they're doing it. Um, and, you know, I probably never understood this until a couple of years ago, what it's like to feel like you're a part of a country where you have no legitimate investment in the government that's governing over you. Uh, the, and, and if that upsets you or don't, or I don't know, it's probably not the first time, but upsets you even today, not unless you just walk through the door. Um, but to feel as though you have this ruling class over you that's making these decisions for you, that you don't have a voice in, that you don't have a say in, and it can foster in you a great feeling of helplessness. To look at it and think, you know, these people that I've never met that don't know me, they don't know my kids' names, they don't care about me, they don't care about my family, are making decisions that are greatly, wildly impacting my way of life. Anybody gassed up this past week? And sitting there thinking how helpless we all feel to. And then to look across and see this war-torn country that the Ukrainians didn't, didn't ask for and and probably, although I'm sure Russia's a big country, there's probably a lot of people in Russia aren't affected by it, although it's hard to imagine that they're not to some degree, even if nothing else, economically affected by it. But certainly even the people that are marching in there, I mean, there might be some of them that are there because they hate Ukrainians, but probably a great many of them aren't. They're there because it's where they've instructed and been commanded to go. And I guess I'm just saying it's easy to feel a deep, abiding sense of helplessness. To feel like the people in power in this world who don't know us, who don't love us, who don't care about us, are moving us around like pawns on a chessboard. But then I open my Bible to the book of Daniel. And I find out that there's bigger hands on bigger chess pieces. And I find out that just the way that this ruling class feels as though they're moving us around on a chessboard, there's a thrice holy, all-powerful, omnipotent God of glory who's reaching down and grabbing a hold of nations and moving them like pieces on a chessboard. And to be reminded that we may feel powerless, we may feel helpless, but listen, if you've got God as your Father, if you've got heaven as your hope, you're never powerless, you're never helpless. For the very one that bends his ear to you when you pray is the very one that holds the believers of power in this world and is in control over all things. 
And I think what a wonderful, what a wondrous, majestic, beautiful thing it is to think that while you've got a world full of wicked, depraved, craven individuals who lust for nothing but more power and more control over men's lives and are willing to literally throw people's lives against the, uh, the, the wall. They're literally willing to beat people into oblivion with a hammer against the anvil of war. That there's an all-faithful God that sits on the throne of glory who is within all of that working His will. And I'm sitting there thinking about the, the people in Ukraine. There's Ukrainians, no doubt, that are thinking about eternity for the first time really in their entire life. There's no doubt Russians that are being led into that war that are thinking about eternity in a real way for the first time in their entire life. And I think about a providential sovereign God who is using all of these events to work in men's hearts. And you say, preacher, what are you getting at? I guess I'm saying this. One, it's good to be a Christian and have a heavenly father. But then two, it's good to be able to recline into the providence of God and know that even when we feel helpless, even when we feel and I think about the Lomans, but not just them. I think about a whole myriad of people who must feel like their entire world has been thrown into upheaval at the whim of people who don't even know their names. Uh, it's good to know there's one that does know our name. And he's got more power and more control. And he's faithful all the time. And he's on the throne. And we, He's a trustworthy God. We can trust him tonight. And we can know that he has purpose in everything that takes place. Little book of Jude, I want to preach to you about what we do in a world that's going crazy tonight. Look with me beginning in verse number 20. Let's read down to the end of the chapter tonight. Jude, I keep wanting to say chapter 1, and I guess I'll go ahead and say it even though there's no chapter 2. Jude chapter 1, verse number 20. The Word of God says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. Lord, I'm so thankful that I can trust you, that you're a faithful God, that Lord, all of the issues of life, that they can be laid in your hands and, and they're undergirded by your everlasting arms. And Lord, I'm just so thankful to have a God like you tonight. I pray that you'd help us this evening as we approach the inspired, inerrant word of God, that we, Lord, would do so with the reverence that it deserves that we would receive with meekness the engrafted Word, and that we would be willing, Father, tonight to put ourselves in the Holy Ghost examination room and allow in honesty and sincerity for the Word of God to have total liberty in our lives tonight to speak to us and to deal with us according to Thy will. Father, we'll be sure to thank You for what transpires. Lord, we love You tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We will find our way to this portion that we've read this evening in the preaching tonight. But I want to begin by just taking a short walk through the book of Jude and considering the context of, of which Jude writes in this passage. Uh, you know, it begins, and this is familiar passage of Scripture, I believe, for most people. It begins by saying, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and grace and love be multiplied. And 
Jude sets forth what his heart, what his burden is in taking up his pen to pin down this epistle. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. In other words, he wanted to write to him about what Christ had done on Calvary. He wanted to write to him uh, about the richness and the depth of, of the grace of God and all that God had provided for them uh, through the blood and the person of Jesus Christ. He says, you know, I stopped. I paused for a moment. And I thought to myself, you know, it doesn't do any good to go deeper if we don't first build stronger. In other words, it don't do any good for me to wax eloquent about all these beautiful, wonderful truths if people are casting away their confidence in the Lord and if they are allowing discouragement and error to draw them away from their fidelity to Christ. And so he says, you know, I wanted to do that, but I realized it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He said, Preacher, what's Jude saying there? He says, you know, I wanted to take you further, but my heart was burdened to instead build you deeper. My heart was burdened to instead encourage you in these days to not grow discouraged and cast away your confidence which hath a great recompense of reward. In other words, Jude says, I felt like it was important that we took a few moments and double down on some foundational truths in our life. Can I tell you what we need in these days? We don't need some new thing. We need more of the old thing. We need. We don't need some new thing. We need the right thing. And in our life, what we need more than anything, rather than chasing after the next new doctrine and the next new movement that comes out, is to go back to the to the uh, rich and inexhaustible well of the inspired Word of God and double down in the foundational truths that we know to be right. Uh, Jude here, he points out some reasons why he thought this was important. And I just want you to think about some of the things he says and compare them to the days that we're living in. I don't know that there's ever been a time this has been more timely than these days that we're living in. He says the reason he wanted to do this, verse number 4, he said, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, he says, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jude says, I wanted to just get in the glory and worship and enjoy ourselves. But I'm reminded, man, we're living in a time of deep deception in the days that we're in. He says, this ain't time to just sit back and, and, and relax. This isn't a time to, to rest on our laurels. Hey, this is a time when wicked men are trying to creep into the church to subvert and destroy those that have a genuine love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know that we've ever lived in a time of greater deception than the days that we're living in today. Uh, while things like the technology we enjoy, the Internet and, and communication technology has certainly had certain blessings and certain capabilities, certain, certain opportunities that we could have had no other way. Hey, listen, it's true. It's brought you out to the rest of the world, uh, but it's also brought the rest of the world to your front doorstep. And we're living in a time where all manner of error and all manner of bad doctrine is constantly clamoring at the door of the house of God and seeking to gain an entrance. Hey, there was a time when there was a lot of bad doctrine out there, but it, people just didn't have no way to get to it. Amen? It had to just spring up out of the fleshly impulses of the human heart. But now we're living in a day, man, pick your poison. You can turn on the TV and find any manner of error being peddled. You'll find it not only externally, you'll find it internally. The devil's always seeking an opportunity to get in the church and to destroy things. I said a few moments ago, and it wasn't really preaching, but I'm going to preach it, I guess, right now, that we are living in a time where we are the subjects 
of a long war of propaganda, a war of attrition seeking to subvert the human mind and bend it to certain truths that are contrary to the Word of God. We are living in a time of of political term would be it of gaslighting where you're you're led to believe that if if you believe such radical and wild ideas like, oh, I don't know, that men are born men and women are born women, that you're the one with the problem. We're living in a time where deception is being peddled and it's being pushed and it's being mass marketed and it's being fed to our children. It's being used to brainwash and condition men to believing that what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right to call good evil and evil good. Jude says, hey, listen, in a time like that, you know, it's good to worship, but sometimes we need to double down into the truth of the Word of God. It was a time of great deception. Not only that, look down at verse number 8. We'll go back and pick up verses 5 through 7, but look at verse 8 with me. Uh, Jude, when talking about these men, he says this, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, they despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. And he gives an example here. He gives an illustration to drive home a truth. He says, yet Michael the archangel. Now, we know who Michael the archangel is in the context of the word of God, that uh, he is the, the chief, the military angel, we could say, in the order of heaven. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. There's not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, there's a lot of fascinating things we can learn, glean from that. But the reason Jude writes it, he says, you know, even Michael the archangel, when dealing with the devil, even though he's on the right side of that truth, even though he's on the right side of eternity, he did not just rail against the devil. Instead, uh, he came and he stood on the authority of the Word of God. Authority mattered in that instance and in that occasion. But in verse 10 he says this, But these speak evil of those things which they know not. What they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. What's he pointing to? He's saying we're living in a time of great deception, but we're also living in a time of great defiance. When men have no regard for the concept of authority. We're living in that day today. We're living in a time where men despise the notion of authority. Probably the most offensive thing you can do in a great many people's lives is remind them that they have an authority over them. Uh, now that's within the human condition to loathe and despise authority, but now it's put on parade. Uh, men literally paint their bodies with the concept that nobody can tell me what to do, that I don't answer to anyone but God. I wonder how often they really believe they're going to answer to God. Uh, I would venture to say this, that uh, if you really believe you're going to answer to God, hey, listen, you're not going to uh, tout that as a point of pride. That's going to be a humbling reality in your life. But it's born and sourced and grown out of this this base level hatred of authority. You know why they hated Jesus Christ? It wasn't because of the miracles He did. It was because of the message that He taught. It was not because of the amazing things He did. It was because of the authoritative things He said. They didn't like that He exercised an authority and a command over the Word of God and an authority over their lives. And listen, the world system's not changed. We're still living in a time today where men are living in, in rank defiance against all authority. By the way, listen, when people, when people jettison a respect for legitimate authority, then all of a sudden in that vacuum there is a great deifying and enthroning of false and illegitimate authority. Have you noticed that as men have began to become more raucous in their disposition, that it's given room for petty tyrants and dictators to step in and demand complete and absolute subjection 
to their whims and to their desire. Hey, listen, we're either going to accept the true authority and be able to live and breathe in freedom and liberty, or we're going to allow the tin-pot dictators of false authority to step into that vacuum and to take control of our lives. I choose liberty in Christ. I, listen, I know I'm not going to live without authority. I'd rather have the right authority in my life. But we're living in a time of defiance. Look down at verse number 11. It says this, Woe unto them, Jude says, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, I want to remind you, he's not talking about pagans here. He's talking about these men in the church. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. In other words, believing in their own good works, their own self-righteousness ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, peddling spiritual authority and influence for personal gain, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. That's Korah. In other words, they have cast off the right authority of God. He says about these men, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, and wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now we could, we could dig in and we could look at each of those metaphors that he uses. They're very rich with truth, but can I just give you the overview of what he's getting at? He's saying this, when you allow this crowd in your midst, it is a shame to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says they are spots in your feasts of charity. I'd say this, we're living in a time of great defilement even amongst the people of God. It's shocking the things that are tolerated and even celebrated amongst even the people of God. Hey, listen, I, I understand we all, well, my soul, uh, we're living in a time when the wickedest of things are applauded and exalted. We're living in a time where it's called Christian character and charity to have a dismissive attitude towards things that grieve the heart of God. We're living in a time of deep defilement where personal holiness has been castigated and, and criticized, where it's been uh, cast as being old-fashioned uh, and old-timey. Hey, listen, that's part of the reason it's fundamental Baptist. We just lean into that thing of being old-fashioned. Uh, that, that's part of the reason we just go ahead and appropriate that terminology. They want to call us old-fashioned. I'd say this, things were a little better in the old-fashioned days when the world wasn't burning down around us. When men knew, uh, when, when we understood and, and knew fundamentally the concept of morality and righteousness, when even the fundamental laws of biology were not treated as something that's relative and something that has no grounding in truth, I'd say this, we hadn't got better, we'd gotten worse. It's a time of great defilement. Now, go back to verse number 5. And I want you to notice the theme that Jude weaves through this. The Bible says in verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now there's a theme in all three of those examples. And that's that sometimes the wheels of God's judgment move slowly, but they always move surely. Uh, God may tarry long with men and have long suffering with them, but sure enough, sooner or later, God's going to deal with unrighteousness. 
And he emphasizes this down in verse 14. He says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. You say, Preacher, what's the thing there that God deals with ungodliness? Ungodliness. And I'd say this, we're living in a time of great destruction. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm barely a preacher. I'm only just, uh, you know, officially a pastor. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, but I would say this. The things that we're seeing happen around us are not out of keeping with the conditions that the Bible said would exist during the end days. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that things are, are getting more wicked. Hey, the Bible said evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Uh, this, this delusional idea that it's going to get better and better. Hey, listen, that's Roman Catholic doctrine with no founding and footing in the Word of God. Things ain't getting better. Things is getting worse. Read your Bible. We're living in a time where the destruction about us should not surprise us and certainly should not unsettle us, but instead it should settle us in our conviction of the truth of the Word of God. Things are happening just the way the Bible would say that they are going to happen. I would say this, we're living in a time of great destruction. If you're waiting for the next super politician to show up and straighten everything out, i got news for you. There's one coming. But if you're born again by the grace of God, you ain't going to be here when he shows up. So go ahead and just make your mind up. Make your mind up. That ain't going to be out of politics that we're going to find any solution and help and answer. It's going to be out of prophecy that we see a king coming who's not like the kings of this world, but is a king of kings and a lord of lords. And when he comes, he's going to set things right. But until that time, hey, listen, things aren't going to get better. They're only going to get worse and worse. It's a time of great destruction. Look down at verse number 16 with me. Uh, the Bible says this, These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now, remember, these are folks that's been in the church house. That's what he's talking about. He says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Jude says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the Spirit. I, I don't want to get in the weeds of it. If you want to hear more about it, you can come on Monday night and hear it in Apollo's course. But the early New Testament church was beset on all sides by the error and heresy of Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed that they had this extra scriptural revelation from God, that they had this information you couldn't find in your Bible. Uh, it was just something that you had to have yourself about who God is and, and, and what God desires. And one of the things they'd do is they'd come into a body of believers uh, and they would second class all the other people in that church and say, well, you're just not as enlightened as I am and you're just not initiated into these things. And, and if you were, you know, you'd understand, but you're just, sadly, you're not a part of that elect group. Did I say it that way? You're not a part of that elect group that's just, that understands all of these things. And they would uh, put them into a separate second class of, of Christianity of their own devising and making. And then what they do is they bust things apart. They peel a portion of people away and create their own entity in their own church. And they separate and leave from amongst it. John writes those people reminding them, hey, these people were never of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us that God might reveal that they never were of us in the first place. Jude says it this way, that crowd, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. He's not saying biblical separation is incorrect. He's saying this, separating from the house of God is incorrect. And he's saying when people go in that way and they 
uh, peel off and create their own little entity and their own little club. He says that's not an indication of spirituality. That's an indication of sensuality, that their flesh is what's moving and driving them. But here's the thing that he's getting at. He says this, this is a time when folks are abandoning the house of God. I would say it this way. We're living in a time of great defection in our day. Uh, there's folks sit around and get all kinds of nervous at the prospect that the church isn't busting at the seams. If I read my Bible correctly, that's exactly how things are supposed to be. Now listen, I'm not a fatalist. And I'm not someone, I'm not a defeatist. I, I don't believe that the winds of revival quit blowing just because the winds of prophecy are stirring. But I do believe this, that we're living in a time where you're not going to see the church explode onto the public stage of men's applause and appreciation. Rather, what you're seeing is a time of great purging in the house of God. A time of great separating. A time when we're finding out who really loves the Bible and who doesn't. It's a time of great defection. Now, we can look at all those things. And I'm going to be honest with you. If we stopped at verse 19, I'd be discouraged. I would. You read through the book of Jude, and, and there ain't a lot that's good that's said leading up to verse number 20. I mean, it's just how wicked everything is, how everything's falling apart, how the world is an evil, nasty, rotten, no good, a dirty place, and, and we're living in dark days, and we're living in discouraging days. But I want you to notice verse 20, and I want to preach for a few moments here on what we need to do in response to all these things. You notice verse 20, he says, but ye. I'm glad I'm not a part of the they. I'm glad I'm a part of the ye. I'm glad I'm of a different of a different class and sort than the wicked and the ungodly in this world. It ain't by my own doing. It's by the grace of God. But I'm glad when He saved me, He separated. I'm glad He took me out of that mess. And I'm glad He didn't leave me in that mess. And Jude draws a distinction here between the attitude of the world and the attitude of believers. He says, but ye, beloved. And then he lists three responses that we should have to this wickedness. Now, I tell you, there's a lot of ways you can respond to the wickedness of the world. You can get discouraged. You can quit on God. You can quit on having any hope for God to work in the hearts and lives of men. Or you can respond in a biblical way. I want my life to be biblical in every way. And I want to respond to the brokenness, to the destruction, to the wickedness of the world around me. I don't want to let it destroy me and defeat me. I want to respond in the right way. Notice these three responses and we'll be done this evening. The first thing he says is this, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. I'd say this, number one tonight, there's an inward response that we are called to have. Jude says, hey, you've been looking out, you've been, you've been peeking out the window blinds and seeing all of the flames burning and all of the destruction and all of the wickedness. Jude says, you ought to take a few moments and look inwardly and say, what can I do about that? And what can I do about this? I'm going to tell you something you ain't going to like to hear, but there ain't much you can do about what's going on out there. But there's a whole lot you can do about what's going on in here. Uh, there ain't much you can do to change those things. Hey, listen, I, I'm not, and I don't, I'm not being, I, I don't know, maybe I am being a cynic, but I'm not being ugly about it. Listen, write your letters, make your phone calls, go, pull your levers, fill in your little boxes. That's fine if you want to do that, but don't expect no real change to come from that. Uh, it, it can be this crowd or that crowd that's in power, but the whole thing is wickedness. And as a result of it, you can let that defeat you and discourage you, or you can look inwardly and recognize that there are some things that you don't have control over, and there are some things that you do have control over. And you can squander the opportunity to take control of the things you can control, or you can take that opportunity to change those things for the glory of God. There is an inward response, and he lists a few things. Number one, he says this, uh, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. 
He says, here you've got this faith that's been once delivered unto the saints. You've got this body of revealed truth in the Word of God. And then you have the, the expression of that truth in your life. Your personal relationship with the Lord. And he says this, don't forget to build on that relationship with the Lord. I'd say this, you say, preacher, what can we do? What are we going to do? What can we do? I'll tell you the first thing, keep working on your walk with the Lord. Keep building yourself up in the most holy faith. Don't get so forlorn and despondent that you just give up on God and quit. It's easy to do so. It's easy to say, well, preacher, there's no reason, there's no hope. Hey, listen, you can resolve that in your heart, in your life, in your corner. You're going to keep marching forward for the glory of God. And you're going to keep growing for the Lord. You can either let discouragement paralyze you or you can let devotion and dedication galvanize you. It's your choice what you're going to do. Nobody can make it for you. Jude would say, keep working on your wall. Not only that, he says this, praying in the Holy Ghost. So he says, one, you need to keep growing in the Lord, but two, you need to keep persisting in prayer. Nobody can stop you from praying. There's never been in your life a single moment when anyone has stopped you from praying but you. And probably your kids when they're little. Somebody say amen to that. Nobody can stop you. No, nobody can make you give up on prayer. So, oh, but preacher, you don't know. Hey, listen, I don't have to know. I know that he's always faithful and that prayer is always available. It, it, it is, it is the, the resource that cannot be wrestled away from the child of God. Uh, they'll never destroy our Bibles. There may come a day they confiscate them. That's why we ought to be trying to hide the Word of God in our heart. Don't take for granted you'll always be able to open your King James Bible and read it and hear the voice of God having it right there in front of you. There may come a time that we've got to call it back from the halls of memory, the precious truth of the Word of God. But one thing they cannot take, hey, they might come in and try to bust up the house of God. You say, oh, preacher, they want Now, don't even start telling me that. We would have said five years ago they want and then they did. So absolutely they'd come in and try to bust up the house of God. And there may come a time we've got to go under cloak of darkness to gather and meet together, but they can never take away the prayer clause. We can keep persisting in prayer. He mentions another thing. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's an amazing verse to me. There's a couple ways that we could uh, understand that. One, we could understand it in terms of keeping ourselves in the love that God has for us. Now, somebody's going to say, Preacher, that couldn't be right because uh, the love of God is something that is immutable. I agree with you that's immutable. There's even an application in that perspective. Uh, you say, what is it, Preacher? Hey, listen, there's time. God always loves me, but I don't always live like He loves me. Sometimes I get down in the mouth and I start poor-mouthing on God and complaining that things ain't going well. And, and, and somehow I need to be reminded that no matter what happens in my life, He still loves me. But then there's another way that we could understand that when he says keep yourselves in the love of God. And, and we could understand it as keeping ourselves in our love to God. I would say this tonight. Hey, listen, whether it's one way or the other, keep leaning into his love in your life. We can lean away from his love and we can grow discouraged and we can complain and we can imagine he's give up on us. But we know none of that's true. If you believe that God don't love you anymore and he gave up on you, go ahead and throw your Bible in the trash and, and curse the name of Christ and reject it. Because for you to believe that Christ does not love you is for you to go completely contrary to every single page of this blessed book. So let's go ahead. Let's get our get our temper tantrum out. Let's go ahead and make up our mind. He does love us. Even when things don't go our way, He does love us. Even when we don't get our way, He does love us. Even when everything goes sideways, He does love us. And if we can resolve ourselves to that reality, then here's what we ought to do. When things go sideways, instead of leaning away from Him, we ought to lean into His love. Hey, when things get tough, don't love him less, love him more. 
When things get tough, don't ask yourself whether he loves you. Tell yourself that he does love you. And just lean into his love. And then look what he says at the end of verse 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. When he talks about the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, what he's saying is this, that we can anticipate, as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, that mercy and truth will follow us all the days of our life. That the mercy of God is never going to abandon us, not until we get and step into the halls of glory and have no need of mercy any longer. We can always trust that the mercy of God will be present there. And he says this, we ought to look for that. We ought to look for God to answer. We ought to look for God to intervene. We'd say it this way. Hey, listen, keep working on your walk. Keep persisting in prayer. Keep leaning into His love. But keep hope in your heart. Don't give up on trusting in the Lord. Don't give up hope. Hope's a powerful thing. A powerful thing. Hope is not the, the, the fantasy of, of the mercy of the Lord. It is not, it is not the longing for the mercy of the Lord. It's the looking for the mercy of the Lord. It's the active, effectual dependence upon the character of God in providing mercy in our lives. And Jude would say this, don't give up hope. You can still trust God. He is a faithful God. There's an inward response. But then notice number two, there's an outward response we need to have. Verse 22, he says this, and of some have compassion. Now, he's been talking about ye. He said, but ye, beloved. But now he says, and of some. So he's looking externally. And of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So there's an inward response. But number two, there's an outward response we need to have. Say, preacher, what's that outward response? Well, the first thing he says is this. Don't lose your mercy in your life. He says it in verse 22, of some have compassion, making a difference. I'm going to be honest. We're living in hard days. And don't misunderstand what I mean. Listen, we're sitting around in air conditioning on padded pews. I'm not saying we live a hard life. I'm saying we're living in days where the disposition and environment of the world will harden our hearts if we're not careful. I already told you not. I am a bona fide, certified, card-carrying cynic when it comes to this world we're living in. Whatever you're happy about, I don't believe it's going to happen. You say, but preacher, you don't know. I don't have to know. <laughs> Whatever you think's going to work out, I don't. All right, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to discourage you. I just think it's all bad. All right? And how easy it is to be that way. They keep proving us right. Listen, the wildest conspiracy theory you can come up with is the safest side of history to be on anymore because it's getting ready to come true. The most cynical that you can possibly be, go ahead and just commit to it because they're going to prove you right. And in that environment, can I tell you what's easy to do? It's easy to grow hard towards the world. To grow callous towards lost sinners. That's the reason I said I made those comments about the war in Ukraine at the, in the service. Because listen, it's, it's easy to forget that that is a country. And I don't know, Preacher Loman can tell us undoubtedly how many, but with uh, no doubt millions upon millions of people that Christ died for. And it's easy to lose sight of all that. By the way, Russia is too. And it's easy to lose sight of that in the midst of this constant propaganda war machine that we have been injected and thrown into the middle of. And I say the same thing is true in our world at large, man. I, listen, there's a lot of people that are against God and are against you. But you was too before you got born again. And it's easy to lose sight that we are called to compassion. I'd say this, don't lose your mercy. Number two, look at verse 23. He says, if some have compassion making a difference, and others, he says, save with fear, 
pulling them out of the fire. What fire is he speaking of here? Is he talking about hellfire? Well, certainly you could make that application. But I think rather Jude is trying to infuse within us a, a picture, a concept that will inform our attitude towards our responsibilities to the Lord and to a lost and dying world. He says there's some that you need to be tender with and you need to be patient with. There's some that you need to have compassion on. But he says don't forget that, listen, we're trying to reach people like we're trying to rescue them out of a burning building. He says, don't forget, there's some of them, hey, listen, we need to have mercy and we need to have patience, but we need to have, we don't need to have patience forever because eventually people are going to die in their lost condition. And so we could say it this way, don't lose your mercy, but number two, don't lose your urgency. I don't, listen, I don't buy into this whole defeatist, determinist concept of Bible eschatology. I understand, I can read my Bible, we're living in Laodicean days, I agree with you about that. We're living in days, I've already said it tonight, things ain't going to get better. Things are only going to get worse. I can read my Bible like you can, and I believe that is a million percent true. But I don't find anywhere where God calls us to throw up our hands, sit down in the dirt, and just bury our head in the sand. Not one place. Hey, listen, he told us to occupy till I come. That word occupy, that's not a passive concept. That's an active concept. Uh, he, he didn't say, he, he did not say uh, that we are, what's the word I'm looking for? He didn't say that we are to calcify till he comes, but to occupy. That ain't the word I'm looking for, is it Ken? Ken don't know. <laughs> Ken's paid attention every single moment of it. And the one moment he looks away, I'm going to catch him. It does not say that we are to just sit in atrophy, but we're to occupy. We're to resolve ourselves that we're not going to lose that sense of urgency. We're not going to be lulled to sleep by discouragement. But we're going to stay active in serving the Lord. Number three, he says this, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is this, that the flesh in mankind, that the garment that it produces, you know, in the, in the Word of God, the righteousness of Christ is described as being a, a uh, linen garment that the saints are robed in. That's the metaphor that's given, of being a uh, linen garment, clean, white, and, and pure like the righteousness of God. And he says this, when you allow the flesh to have dominion in your life, he says that stains and spots that garment. doesn't mean that positionally we're not still perfectly righteous in the eyes of God. But what it does mean is that a life that's moved by the energies of the flesh is inconsistent and incompatible with the righteousness of Christ manifest in us. What he's saying is this, that our life should not be one of mixed message. It should not be one of, of uh, disconsonant behavior. But rather he would say it this way, fellas, don't lose your sincerity. Make sure you stay genuine in the work of God. We're living in a day when we are constantly lied to. Constantly. If you don't believe you're being lied to, that is only because you have believed their lie. You are constantly being lied to. And it's easy for that to make morals seem awful ambiguous and awful relative. It's easy to say, well, they lie to us. Why shouldn't we lie to them? Why? They're not honest with us. Why should we work so hard to be honest? Because they're not who we're living for in the first place. The Lord is. And it's easy to become a hypocrite if we're not careful. Jude would say this, there's an outward response. Don't lose your mercy, your urgency, or your sincerity. But then he says this, now unto him. Now first he said, but ye, there's an inward response. And then he said, and of some, there's an outward response. It's how we're to respond to those without. But then he says this, now unto him. So there's an inward response, an outward response, but then we could say this, there's an upward response that we're called to have. 
In other words, there's an attitude and a disposition that we're to have towards the Lord in these days. Hey, there's some things you owe the Lord. Thank you, Rich. I'm going to say it again. We'll see if anybody else agrees. There's some things you owe the Lord. You owe them to God. You have certain responsibilities to Him. And Jude points to the fact that even in these days that we're living in, we need to not lose sight of those responsibilities. Notice the first thing he says, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. He goes on to say, Unto Him be uh, glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and evermore. This is, this is a praise that's being set forth. But he begins by saying this, don't forget that He is the one that keeps us from falling. He is the one that will present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Jude is resolutely confirmed that God has what it takes to deal with the days that we're living in. He said He is able, in verse 24, and I would say this, don't lose faith in His power. You may feel like you're not able. Likely you're not able. But God is always able. I'm not going to stand up here like Tony Robbins at the airport and tell you that you got some secret power buried deep within you. That ain't no secret power. You just ate crystals. Amen? What a bunch of nonsense. It ain't within you, but hey, unto Him it is. With Him it is. In Him and through Him and to Him it is. And I'll tell you right now, you ain't able. But he absolutely is able. Don't lose faith in His power. And then He says this, unto Him that is able. And then He goes on, He says, to the only wise God, our Savior. How easy it is to just Treat all beautiful language in your King James Bible as boilerplate language, as dressing, as, as linguistic garnish placed on the plate of truth. But notice it carefully. To the only wise God. Their God's not a wise God. Their God's not even a real God. We're the ones with the only wise God. And guess who He is? He's our Savior. <laughs> what does He do in our life? He takes His wisdom and uses it to cancel out our folly. He takes His knowledge and uses it to make up the hedge of our ignorance. We, I would say it this way. Have faith in His plan. He's a wise God. Say, but preacher, it don't make sense to me. No, algebra don't make sense to me. But that don't mean it ain't true. Thank you, Sam. Is this hard for you all tonight or something? It feels like this is a challenge for you tonight. I'm sorry. Hey, listen, you may not understand his plan. That don't mean his plan ain't good. That don't mean his plan ain't true. You don't have to... It, nowhere in your Bible does it say that you have to understand everything that God does for him to remain God. Let me set your mind at ease. Even if you don't understand him, he's still going to rule the throne of the universe. Have faith in his plan. And then notice this. He says this, Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Now, I'm going to be just frank with you. Is that okay? Can I just be honest with you? When I'm struggling, it ain't that important to me that God get glory and majesty, dominion and power. What I'm concerned with is that I get help and comfort and wisdom and guidance. But Jude does not say, you're going to get these things. He reminds you that God's going to get those things. You know why that is? Because rarely would we invest in God's purpose because God's purpose is rarely our purpose. But His purpose is superior to our purpose. Even if you don't get what you want, if He gets what He wants, you'll be the better off for it. I would say this, have faith. Don't lose faith in His purpose. He has a reason behind everything that He's doing. And it's not to make you comfortable. 
And it's not to make you happy. Now, God does not begrudge your comfort. God does not begrudge your happiness. But that's just not the prevailing priority here. The prevailing priority is that He get glory, that He get majesty, that He exercise dominion, and that He express power. That's what God's interested in. Can I tell you this? That purpose is far grander than your purpose or my purpose. So, preacher, what do I do? The world's going crazy. Yeah, I know it is. It's going to keep going crazy. Hey, buckle up. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get crazy. But ye, beloved, make sure that your inward response is right. Keep working on your walk with the Lord. Keep persisting in prayer. Keep leaning into His love. Keep hope in your heart. Keep your outward response right. Don't lose your mercy. Keep having compassion. Don't lose your urgency. Uh, We've got work to be about. Don't lose your sincerity. Stay true to the Lord. And keep your upward response right. Keep your faith in His power, His plan, and His purpose. You say, preacher, what do we need? We need some new thing. No, we need more of the old thing. We need to double down in the truth of the revealed Word of God. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want to give you an opportunity to address any of these things in your life that the Holy Ghost may have addressed. I don't know about you, but it's easy for that inward response to get messed up. It is. It's easy to get so discouraged that we quit trusting the Lord. It's easy to get so discouraged that we give our flesh a pass. It's easy to just quit trusting the Lord and quit serving the Lord. Won't you find a place down to this altar and say, Now, Lord, I don't want to be that way. I want my life to be surrendered to you. Man, it's easy for that outward response to get wrong. Hey, all around you, our world is filled with foes and enemies and people that should be the objects of your hate, disdain, and ire. And every one of them Christ died for. We ought to pray that God give us a heart like the Savior to love and have compassion. And make sure that upward response is right. You might have been a little upset at God because some things that happened in your life, the way some things went. Won't you come and lay those on the altar and say, Now, Lord, I know I can trust you. I know your ways are perfect. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.